0: I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a man that I've respected since I was a child. Uh, we are honored today to have a man that – I. It, it's, it's go- this is going to be a Herculean introduction. Former president, vice president of the U.S. Olympians and Paralympian Association, three-time Olympic medalist, three-time Olympian, father of a 10-time Olympic gold medalist. Um, he is the. He was the captain of the Indiana of Indiana University, captain of the 1976 Olympic team, Olympic flag bearer in 1976, and he's the author of a new book, "Winning Life's Gold Medal: Ten Valuable Life Lessons from the Olympic Games." Today we have Gary Hall Jr. <laughs> Gary Hall Senior, I screwed it up. Do you want to keep it or do you want to start over?
1: <laughs> no, I get that all the time. So. <laughs> proud wow, that's even that's even better I, let's roll with it i love we're,
0: it we're, we're gonna we're, i just i just flood that entry and we're gonna roll with it because you are a, a a generous man and uh so here let's let's get into this i i'm gonna i'm just gonna i'm gonna be vulnerable and i'm gonna lay it out there uh every time a peer writes a book you know i, I get the book i read the book um if it's an olympic swimmer or Olympic coach and you know they kind of fall into into certain buckets and they're uh they're not always the greatest books in the world. And uh, so when I, when I get it, it's sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to read this out of respect for a peer. And, um, and this has happened so many times. That's how I started reading winning life's gold medal. Uh, and this is what this is. I got into it and I went, wow, this, this book was several things to me. It's um, it's, it's, it's a memoir. You you provide these life lessons, but it's a, you dig in, you're very vulnerable and you dig in and you share some very personal things and it makes, it just, it just sucks you in and you're like, wow, you're, you're, so your, your, your narrative and your storytelling just, it pulls you in. If you're out there and you're listening to this on the download guys, you can, you can get this as an ebook right now on Amazon. I'm telling you to hit pause and go there and do it um if you're on Kindle unlimited you can grab it there uh, but definitely go to Amazon and 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 download this ebook and it's going to be coming out as a hardback here in the next few months and we're going to talk to Gary Hall senior again about it so personal book uh, it has memoir flavor very personal moments in it that that just make it jump off the page i also felt like i was reading sun tzu's art of warfare but it, there was there is a kindness and and a and a humility about it that just comes, I think, with age and wisdom and, and an enormous amount of experience. So before we get into any of the 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 meat of, of the book, just how did you do this? How long was this book in development? How, and what what got you over the finish line for delivery?
1: Uh, well, it, it it started as as I mentioned to you yesterday it started as a kind of catharsis i I needed a cleansing of my body which sounds odd because i was 55 years old at the time um i was making this huge left turn in my life which was unexpected i mean life is full of unexpected things what i didn't want to do Mel, which i think is really important and and i from the get-go i didn't want this to be a victim book it's not about that We're all victims. You know, at some point or another, we all get picked on unfairly. And and I had, but I didn't want to turn into, oh, you know, poor pity on me. This is not that. It's, so what do I do now? You know, and and it was like, okay, I got it. I, I had this sort of unfair blow dealt to me that I thought was unfair. And I didn't understand it at the time. I really didn't. But I thought for, you know, at least for my own healing, I needed to start writing, just write it down. And I did that, that was 15 years ago. And, and, you know, I didn't even know what I was going to do. with it. And I finished it and I put it up on the shelf and I just said, you know what? I, I don't really care if anybody ever reads this. I, it's not important to me. It was important that I wrote it for myself. But, you know, it's not, not that important for the world. And here we are 15 years later and two things happen. Number one, COVID comes along and it changes the world overnight, literally. And, you know, I always look for the silver lining, but COVID actually gave me enough time to write two books, two books I never would have written. One, you know, which was The Fundamentals of Fast Swimming, which I wrote with Devin, our head coach. And, and that was to me, it was a blessing because I had, a, I had finally had time to do something like that that I wanted to do, but I probably wouldn't have done. And then I finished that, and that was a lot of work, but it was fun. It was, it was really, to me, it was really um, educational to do that. And then COVID didn't go away. <laughs> it was supposed to go away, but it didn't. So now I've still got time, and I think, well, you know what? I'm going to take that book off the shelf, blow the dust off of it, and and reread it, and and see if I can. And as I was reading it, I said, you know what, it didn't make sense 15 years ago, to spill 55 or 60 years of swimming guts to the world about me or our family, or the nuances. But so much had changed in the world, and the world was now so divided. And, And I felt like all these lessons that I'd learned, it was the right time to you know share on them and, and I, I don't know if anyone will read it I really don't but I feel like it might help who knows uh, but it's, it's it's not a victim book and and that's what I, I don't want it to be That
0: it's um so, uh, just before we, we, we go any further if anybody's catching this on 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 video most everybody listens to this on the download but if anybody's watching on video you see the race club and uh, we've worked together for a long time. I've enjoyed working with you as a peer, and uh, you're, you're, you're well-respected. And this has been your moment, which you talk about in the book. But it, I don't even know what your title is. Are you the owner? Are you the co-founder? What, what, how, how would you describe your 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 position at the race club?
1: Well, Gary founded it, actually, with David Arlick in, in 2003. And, uh, and, and the purpose of the time was a little different than what it is today. It was really intended to be um, a, a training grounds for pro athletes. And we needed that, we still need that. Uh, there are a lot more opportunities today and, and we were one of the first, maybe the first to really provide a place for swimmers to continue their career and go and train and, and prolong their career uh, and do it the right way. <clears throat> um, but as everybody who's done that learned, it's not a really good business to the end it's tough to make a living doing it that way so uh, in 2008 Gary retires and Mike Bottom our head coach takes a Michigan job and we gave him our blessing and then all of our assistant coaches got really good collegiate jobs and and we found ourselves there and this was at the same time or shortly after I'd written this book with a pretty good idea but no coach left and Mary, my wife looked at me and said well two options here we can either throw in the towel and say we had a great run or you can become the head coach what do you want to do and i said you know what i'm going to go for it and i'm going to i'm going to try coaching but in a different way and i wasn't i wasn't going to be a traditional coach in any sense of the word um i always felt as if i could coach but I wanted to focus on the technical side on the technique side always been a science guy I always loved you know the doc and, and his approach he had a profound influence on my interest in doing what I do now and, and in fact I dedicated my book to him uh, for all of what he did for me and, and for all the coaches in the world but I just felt like you know it was the right time and place to, to start a new, race club and, and that was when we really began as a teaching institution so it was cabs private instruction and then my son richard got involved in 2010 it really changed our whole business because he was so good at video and he said you know let's show this you know people come here a few and, and learn but we can show the world what we're doing and uh, I'm so glad he got involved i'm so glad he, he came on Cause he adds just a whole different element in his videos in my advice and you know, fatherly opinion are really, really good. And he makes the race club. He really does.
0: So we're, we're going to say head coach, master teacher. And if you don't know what the race club is, then then you've been hiding under a rock or, or, or sleeping somewhere. We're going also going to put a link to this in, in, uh, when we post so that you'll know where to go. If, if you, if you've never said, Hey, you know, you, you didn't know what the race club was. You can dive in there get back to the book and the and, and and this is what i liked about it um usually you skip over an introduction uh introductions are terrible your introduction hooked me and it hooked me for a very specific reason it's um it's this seems like it's you know 15 years ago was not the right time but now it is the right time it it felt like someone was screaming into a bullhorn because you crystallized it by saying everybody experiences bombs in their life and there, um, it could be COVID, could be a divorce, could be a bankruptcy, could be could be anything. And uh, the, and frankly, everybody's feeling that right now. And it, it's uh, and you describe that in such a way that just hits home. And you you, you really hooked me in. And then when I, when I, I got into the book, I was like, the structure of this is fantastic. If you're, you've got to buy this because you put it on your nightstand and you can read one lesson, you can read one lesson and, uh, you know, pick it up the next night and read another lesson. It's digestible. It's, it's, it's simple and it hits home. But what I also love about it is that you get to the end of the chapter and you're like, okay, here are the things that you've explained and the narratives and the stories that you've shared. But, this is how you can approach these milestones in your life. That may be a challenge. You uh, 15 years ago, you, you, I was surprised that you you shared this and I, and I, I only knew what I had heard, but you did. You talked about the transition in your life. You talked about your Dr. Gary Hall senior. Everybody knows you as Dr. Gary Hall senior. And you talked about your practice and you talked about what you went through and I, I understood it very, very well. I'm wearing reading glasses right now, but I had the surgery that you provided and it transformed my life. I loved it because, you know, I don't wear glasses and I I can see everything, but I had that surgery. But I also understand the medical community and I'm a business owner and I understand how the world works. And you unpacked how that part of your life came to an end. And how you transitioned into a part of your life that you love and you're passionate about. But I love the title of that chapter. What was the title? I think it's, uh, oh yeah. We all have a Russian judge in our lives. We all have a Russian judge in our life. And how do you deal with that? You got to, if you, you got to buy this book just to read, just to read this chapter, it's, it's worth it. So, the, um, do you mind sharing um, the pop off story? And do you mind building in and teasing us into your experience?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I mean, it's it's really Gary's story. He shared, and I do share a number. I take advantage of my son's uh, experience in the Olympics. because this, this is kind of based on an Olympic theme. Not all these lessons came directly from being in the Olympic Games. A lot of them were on the journey there. And so, you know, I feel like I got a chance to see the Olympics from so many different vantage points, you know, as a young swimmer dreaming about it, as a swimmer who not just made it, but got to swim in three different Olympics. And you're not, they weren't just three Olympics. They were three transformational Olympic games. When you look back, 68 was a pivotal time in our society during a, you know, social unrest. And here we are again, you know, uh, 72 this transformed the Olympics forever with the Palestinian terrorist group coming in and, and really totally catching everybody off guard. And then 76 kind of got things back on track again. Um, but the story with Popoff, which is Gary's story to tell, and I always I feel like I'm stealing his stories, but he does share a lot with his dad. And, and, and I didn't understand the rivalry between Popoff and Gary until I heard this story. When he told it to me i i just said wow really that that really happened and, and you got to picture this kid who's 19 or 20 years old he's never swum in an international uh, meet in his life that's my son i'm talking about and all of a sudden he's on the world stage in fact he was so new to the sport that the coaches the head coach and i forget who they were but One of his real mentors, one of the guys who always took Gary on his arm, was John Ervanchuk. He always had a great relationship with Gary. No matter what, he was always at Gary's side. And they were worried about Gary doing a relay start on the on the four medley relay with Popov anchoring and Gary going against him. They're thinking, does he know how to do a relay start? That's how new he was. Um, And of course, he gets into the fifty qualifies behind Popoff and he's in the final first international meet of his career and he walks in the ready room and he sits down and Popov just stares him down and said was notorious I mean I didn't really know popoff but he was notorious for the mental games that he would play and he looks across at Gary and he said you're a loser and <laughs> I said, what Gary't standing he just looked at him like did you just say what I thought I heard you say? And then he said, yeah, you're your dad never won a gold medal. You're, you're just like your dad. And it was like, how do you like a guy like that? <laughs> you know, it starts <laughs> off with their relationship. And so when people say, was there really a rivalry between those two? Well, there was no love. And then to this day, to this day, in fact, I've listened to a pop-off interview somewhere not long ago that um, you might've done. I don't remember who did it. I think you did. And he still talks about Gary with four letter words. He doesn't, there, there was just never any love with those two guys. And that's kind of how the relationship started and it, and, and it never really got much better. <laughs> so anyway, that's in the book. But-
0: it's in the book. It's in the book. And you, and you here's the thing. You don't, you tell a narrative, you, here's the thing, you tell a narrative with a writer's skill. Uh, this is what I look for, I do with writers all the time. You get to the point, you get into the story, you tell the story, you deliver the bang in that story, and then you're moving on to what that lesson is. And it's, it's not, uh, it, there's not a word unused that, that, that's impactful. And yeah, yes, Pop-Off sounded like some mafioso hitman uh, when I read what you'd written, I was like, wow, but it's, he was a peer, you know, we, we were, we were Olympic peers and I guess because I was, you know, you and I were, you know, we swam butterfly. So if you'd be, if you had, if you'd been on deck with him, he might not have been too too nasty, but if, if we had faced off with him in the, in the sprints, yes, that would, that was, a. Uh, I I particularly like that, 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 that narrative. You know,
1: one of the greatest images I have of Papa was when they met again in the 96 Olympics in the 100 freestyle finals. And Gary does his, his boxing routine and, and Popoff is just sitting there trying to stare him down. He's not looking down the lane. He's got his hands on his face He's looking directly at Gary, hoping Gary's gonna look back at him and Gary never does. But that moment was really interesting because I knew the relationship was already very frigid and, and, and uh, intense. And, and he was just, Papa was just trying to figure this guy out. You know, what, who is this guy? You know, who does he think he is? And um, it, was, it was an interesting time. But, um, you know, they went on and, and uh, throughout. And the only thing I regret is that after that 96 Olympics, uh, they didn't have a rematch. Should have been a rematch. That would have been an awesome race. And uh, people talked about the rematch. You know, even I had networks coming to me. Let's do a rematch. Uh, I almost feel guilty because I I probably could have pulled that rematch together. It would have been an awesome race, but we never got that one. The rematch came four years later in uh, in Sydney, and by that time, Popoff was kind of you know hidden on the downside. Uh, but anyway, it was it was an amazing rivalry.
0: The um, so just want people to know that if they're they're gonna. If they're out and they're, they, okay, they can pause and they can they can download the book uh, for to have a read right now. Read it tonight. Put it on your nightstand. Winning life's gold medal: ten valuable less, ten valuable life lessons from the Olympic Games. Uh, we're talking to Doctor Gary Hall, senior, and and he shares some personal things in his life that that a transitional moment from his career as a doctor and into the current career that he has now. That <clears throat> is is something you need to get the book and you need to read it. You also, you talk about your father-in-law and uh, a lot of people aren't old enough to remember what that was, but that was a big, big deal. And I think that you need to buy the book and you need to read what Gary Hall Sr. has to share. I'd like to get back to the first chapter because I thought the first chapter was, was just, um, I loved it. I love, I, I, I love the whole chapter, but I loved the, I, I was like, that's when I first got into how you unpack at the end of the chapter, what you can do. So let's see here. the chapter one lesson, excuse me, lesson one, we can all be gold medalists and uh, you can unpack this chapter how you want to. But what I loved was I got to your, your five ways you can change your life. And um, I just, I, I thought it was beautiful. Once I got into it, it was, uh, it's just very applicable. Here's my, here's my reaction. I'm, I'm babbling on because I'm acting like a, a fanboy now because I like the book so much but the, I'm reading this and I'm like, I've, you know, I can win a gold medal and I'm like, Oh, I've already got one, <laughs> but it's, 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 it makes it's uh, this is, this is, this is like manna from heaven. So tell me, like how did you choose this first chapter and what did you want to accomplish with this first chapter?
1: You know, yesterday you asked me what I thought the three most valuable lessons were in the book. And I had never thought of it like that, but I went back and, that, I mean, I'd, I'd say the, the first chapter is probably the most important lesson in the whole book. And the reason is it's so applicable to today and what's going on in the world. I and mean, this is unprecedented, at least in our lifetime, in my parents' lifetime. That goes back a long time, you know, that I don't think we've seen this kind of division and, and strife in our country. Um, and, and this is about remembering that every one of us as human beings are really good at something. You know, we all can be great at something. Just have to figure out what that is. We're, we're all, not all gonna be Olympic swimmers, not going to all win gold medals like you have, but we can win so, a gold medal at something. And what we have to remember is we have to find that in people. We have to nurture that in people. We have to build that up in people. We don't tear them down. We don't criticize them. we don't destroy them because they may not be good in everything. None of us are. We have to find the good in people. We have to go back to that and not be so critical and so easy to criticize people and not respect people's opinions. And I think we've lost so much of that. One of the things I mentioned in that chapter is that you know, the old saying, trite as it may sound, the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, that is true. But now we all have pens, you know, through social media. We all can just write about whatever we feel like. And we do. And, and we do quickly sometimes to our own regret. So um, it's just to try to kind of rethink how we respond, whether we agree or disagree to people and, and what we do, what our actions do. In that respect and i think that's you know and i don't know if it was in that chapter or some some part in the book is it really to make america great again we got to become great americans first and to become. You, you, great
0: you, you frame everything through pierre de coubertin the, the founder of the modern olympic games you, you you frame it through his lens and his mission and uh I mean, I'm, i this is one of the things where I always roll over and I'm talking to my wife in bed before we go to sleep at night. And I, and I, I it's something I'm proud of about the Olympic movement is that it's based on global peace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, and, and you detail that and you crystallize him mm-hmm. and his mission and why it's applicable and how it's influenced your life. And, in, and what I, and there's just so many nuggets, like lesson one. Uh, when, you, when you do the, the, the breakdown, the five ways to change your life, number three is something that, you know, you can be a, you can be a 12-year-old and on, a, on TikTok or you can be 70-years-old on Facebook. And number three of your five, five ways to change your life is social media. Before you respond, count to 10. And I got to tell you, I'm somebody who has not counted to 10. So it's a, yes, the, the improvements are going to, are going to happen. This does make you think, and it does make you take stock. It does make you t- take stock through bombs in your life and, and the things that you're going to, you're going to face. Cause we all do. Um, I, I did, I did like, there's so many things that I like about this, but uh, you get, you do get into, I'm bouncing around. Let's just go, let's go to lesson two. Life First of all, you know, everyone says that life's not a sprint. But you say it's both a sprint and a pentathlon. What do you mean by that?
1: It's probably the most complicated chapter, maybe the hardest one to understand, because um, it's taken me a lifetime to figure it out. But life isn't the same throughout. And, and we start out in our lives um, kind of in one event. and And, you know, people have talked about the concept of balance in life in, in a lot of different ways. Well, I put it in the Olympic context here by comparing two different events. One a sprint, and when we're young, the point I'm trying to make is that we all have the chance to be a sprinter. We're, we're a sprinter, you're focused on, you know, one event, and you just put all your energy and, and time and effort around that event to be the best you can be. And, and possibly win a gold medal if you're really, really great at it. Um, but at some point in our lives that changes and we don't, we find we're not, we're no longer in the sprint event. We're now in a pentathlon. I use the pentathlon, the modern pentathlon, the heptathlon, the decathlon. all similarly in the sense that those guys that win that event are not the best in any of those five or seven or ten events. In fact, if they if you put them in the individual event in any one of those, they wouldn't win. They're good. You all of them, they have to be, but they're not great. They're not the best in any one. And if they try to be, they lose the event. They're not, they're not great in the, in the overall event. And in life, I, I make the analogy of, of the pentathlon using faith, family, profession, community, and health. Those are our five events. And at some point we have to realize that if we try to win a gold medal in any one of those five, and usually if you, you know, if you find the most common it's profession, we wanna win the gold medal in that one. We wanna be the best whatever, architect or uh, publisher or you, know, you name it, doctor, lawyer, businessman. We, you wanna be the best you can be in it. So you try to win the gold medal and all of a sudden you turn around and realize the other four events have been totally neglected in your life. Your health has gone down, you lost your family you know, there's no faith. You no longer believe in help or asking for help. Your community haven't even thought about it until you know, you've made a distant promise to give back to them someday, which never happens. And all of a sudden you realize you're doing really poorly in your pentathlon. And, and so life is like that. You, you, you can't necessarily be the best or want to be the best at any of those five events. You just want to be good in all of them. And And that's kind of, you know, Uh, maybe the most most uh chapter one the lesson was probably the most timely but lesson two might be the most valuable if people really pay attention to that
0: you know i want to try i want to backtrack just to lesson one and then i'd like to go to to uh to lesson four but i just want to backtrack just for a second and because lesson four is is i was wondering if lesson four was your favorite chapter because it uh what is it? It's uh, life is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. I don't want to go there yet. Was it your favorite chapter?
1: It was, they're all kind of my favorites. I, you know, I, I liked every lesson I wrote about and if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have put it in there. But what I loved about that chapter was I got to be part of something that was really unique and, 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 and talk about the two teams of the of the 76 Olympics using them as an analogy of how the human performance goes so far beyond what it individually can achieve by having this amazing team spirit. And we got to see that twice. One on the men's side that performed arguably better than any Olympic team in any sport in history, although pretty hard to compare it against the The miracle on ice of 1980 was pretty amazing. But similarly, this group of, you know, I guess I would have to say a little bit um, uncomfortable gathering of swimmers of of utmost rivalry between two colleges, where again, there was no love between the swimmers of either school and putting them into one arena and saying, okay, you guys are now a team seemed like a recipe for not having a very strong united team, but it it was just the opposite. We came together and bonded and had this performance that really, you know, went way beyond, I think what we were individually capable of doing. And, And so, and then we saw that similar thing happen on the women's side simultaneously, but really very independently because it was a very segregated women's and men's team at that time. But we 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 were there observing what was happening to those poor girls by the you know steroid boosted East Germans, and they were just being demoralized day after day, as particularly Shirley Abishoff. And then they come back on the final day and pull off the upset of the century, and maybe the most heroic swim of all time. And, and and what brought that happen, to bring that to happen was simply they decided. Mentally, they weren't going to get beat. They, they just said, we're not losing this race, period. And uh, it was just an amazing turnaround after being beaten down and beaten down and beaten down for six straight days. And then in the very final race, they come back and say, no, we've had enough. Cheating, no cheating, we don't care. We're going to win this. And,
0: and then last medal is, is of course, uh immortalized in the the documentary film the last gold so the last the last gold and it was great it's great it's very well done usa swimming produced it uh for for anybody who's out there and they're young and they don't know their swimming history shame on you the greatest uh men's swimming team olympic team was 1976 uh partly because they could swim they we could we could bring the top three americans but it was a dominant performance And uh, I love the way you set it up as you're the captain of Indiana Indiana University and uh, did did Doc Councilman, Doc, pull you and Bruce Furness, captain of of USC? He set you down and lay down the rules and told you how this was going to work. I felt like I was sitting there and I felt like he was talking to me.
1: Well, it, it was Steve. Steve was the Steve Furness. That's right, Bruce, Steve. Bruce was on the team. Steve, Bruce was the younger brother who was uh, uh, very. Uh, Bruce was very um, influential on that team by his actions. He was a really great guy. So was Steve. But um, Doc really kind of led the way. On the very first day, he walked in our team meeting and he said, "Okay, guys, look at. It. I was named head coach of this team." officially, you know, via USA Swimming, but that's not the way this was gonna work. Uh, he said, look, at, I've got Don Gamble, I've got George Haynes. we're all, you know, what I think three of the best coaches out there. Any one of us could have been named head coach. It just happened to be me. Said, we don't have a head coach here. We have three head coaches. And over the next six weeks or five weeks, whatever it was we prepare for Montreal, You guys get to pick whatever coach you want to train with. You can train your way. Pick, you know, one of us. will and I'll gladly take whoever you want. I mean, I was training with Doc, and yet I trained with Don Gambrel. And Doc kind of ended up with the IMers and the, I think I can't remember the breaststrokers, I think. Don took over the Hunter Flyer, and that was the event I was in. So I trained with Don. I didn't train with Doc leading up to Montreal. Everybody was happy. And that, that really kind of set the tone for that, for that Olympic Games. It was a very unselfish move on Doc. It was really something for him to do that. And uh, instead of one coach coaching 24 guys, now it was one coach coaching eight guys and very, you know, with a lot of attention, a lot of hands-on. And he had full control over those eight guys. It wasn't like the head coach wrote the workout. out No, you, you take your eight guys and get them ready. I'm gonna take my guys and get them. you take your eight, George did the same. And everybody felt like they were a head coach of their eight guys. And it just worked, it, was, it worked beautifully. So Steve and I kind of got together and said, look, we have to make sure that we are one team that's really united. And Steve had a suggestion, which was, and I give him full credit for this. He said, let's ask everybody to send home their club and collegiate shirts. We did. We collected a bag of all these Indiana, Stanford, you know, Yale, whoever, you know, whatever the teams were at the time, USC, everybody threw their shirts in. And I don't, I don't think we sent them home. We threw them away. We just got rid of them. And everybody, and we passed out Team USA, USA Olympic team shirts, and we all wore those and uh, wore them out. But that's all we wore so it, it, was, it was really from the get-go, from the day one, the first team meeting we had, that the psyche was set for this is really going to be a unified team effort, and it was.
0: I think I was thinking about Bruce because Bruce, he's been top of mind because he had a health issue. and uh, But an uh, interesting side note is that Steve has, you know, aside from being this pivotal figure in Olympic history, um, I reached out to him when we were launching Swim Swam and he mentored us because he has a lot of experience in business and in aquatics and and an aquatic business with uh, a big swimwear brand that is now a big brand today. But uh, what I like most about these guys now is that we would have our our alumni get-togethers and it was great. It, it, It seems like every time we ever got together, they would start giving each other a hard time in front of everyone, and uh, as another side note, as you're talking, I was just—I I got a little bit jealous of you because I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you know, Gary Senior swam four hundred and am in '68, and then you know by '76 you're doing the hundred fly. That's a that's a dramatic transformation to go from four hundred am to 100 meter butterfly, and the medal in both of them. It's uh, so, how did you do that? Just out of curiosity, how did you how did you go from being swimming a 400 IM, which takes an enormous amount of work, to doing a 100 meter fly? It's a sprint.
1: Well, I, you know, I had eight years to accomplish that. Michael Phelps did it in the same Olympics. So first of all, my hats go off to Michael Phelps, who can swim the 400 IM and the 100 fly in the same meet. You know, one guy. That those are so different events, and and the reason was really for me it was pretty simple. You know, I was in medical school at three years off and I had six months to train for the games. No way was I ever gonna train for anything over a hundred. And I was only 100 event that I had a chance of making. And that was 105, so I had an option of one event really to try to make the Olympics. And and I was lucky enough to make it. But uh, 49, I was glad I didn't have to train for that one anymore. (laughs)
0: of course this is back when when swimmers used to do honest work i think the 1970s was the most brutal time period to be a swimmer i think that uh it was just go 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 what what, out of curiosity what did were you one of those guys that were were you doing a hundred thousand a week
1: you know i had a coach who was god loving bless his heart he um, passed away flip dar was his name he actually was my summer coach, dark coach later in the year. And I would start the year with Don Gambrel because he had all these guys and he was so good and he coached a little differently. I kind of got my aerobic base with, with Don. Don was a tough coach, really tough coach. He was, you know, one of those really grind it up and beat him up. And, 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 um, and I did that. I, I, I went in there and took the beating. Uh, flip was a little bit different, but, um, at the end of the day, um, Flip had this philosophy, which, you know, I respected, but I wouldn't, i consider it to be idiotic, for lack of a better word today. And that was that there were no rest days. So I had 14 practices a week, two a day, even on Sunday. And his philosophy was, if you miss, he used to have a saying, you know, you can't eat two Sunday dinners, right? So if you miss a practice, you can't make up for it on the next one. But that, that was kind of the naive philosophy. The harder you work, the better you, faster you're going to go. And, and unfortunately, none of those coaches really knew how to coach sprinters in those days. Uh, that came later. Uh, we were all lumped into, you know, the same basket. And as a result of that, we usually swam really terribly during the season. None of us were rested. Taper was, you know, two weeks or maybe three weeks before the championship meet. And if you're lucky you got enough rest where you'd actually respond well, do you it. Know, it was actually a terrible way to train. It was it was hard to train that way. And I think it it burned a lot of people out. So um, I don't advise it. I mean, it's not even a good way to train distance swimmers today. And and I think it it culminated probably in guys like Sal Mika going extreme distances and then finally realizing that everybody's ending up with Orthopedic problems, shoulder problems. What are we doing to our athletes? The Australians, I, I do give them credit. They they really didn't fall into that trap as much. I think they were, they were more about quality. Have always been a little bit more about quality and not quantity, and and we've learned from them. So but you live and learn, right?
0: I have a lot of respect for swimmers who I know did honest work and went to three Olympic games and swam so the 400. Individual medley and the hunter fly. But of course, 200 fly. I mean, come on. If you're if you're a 200 flyer, you're just a special creature and you're already have your you're already entered into the gates of heaven, which Gary Hall Sr. knows and I know, but
1: that seems like an unbiased opinion.
0: <laughs> if you're listening on the download or you're watching on video, press pause. Winning life's gold medal, 10 valuable life lessons from the Olympic Games. That's you can get it as an ebook right now. This is a this is a fast read. It's, 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 you're going to get sucked in very quickly. And, uh, I really love, I said it before the, the fact that, that, that I got to know you and I got some, it, 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 had a, it has a memoir. You do bring the memoir muscle to this in such a way that it's, um, you, you, you give people, people, people are going to buy this book and, 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 and it's worth every penny. Uh, I don't want to make you uncomfortable but I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. The, um, you know, if there's royalty in swimming, it, it's, the, it's the Hall family. And uh, when there's royalty, we know it's like the, the British Royals. Everybody wants to, you know, there's like people talk about them and people talk about the Hall family because you've had things beyond swimming that are, that are historic and epic. And a lot of people don't even know about that, but you share this and you use it as a part of, hey, this is the wisdom I've accumulated. And that's part of the reason why I'm a big proponent of, of this book and why you need to, why you need to buy it in, in terms of it's that good in terms of when, when, you, when you, when you, when you deliver a manuscript that that's that strong, what's um, you know, is do, do you think you're going to keep writing? Will you, will you keep delivering life lessons or do another, another iteration? You know, one of the greatest memoir writers of all time is Mary Carr. She wrote three memoirs. So I'm wondering what, what's coming next.
1: Uh, I think the short answer there is, is no. <laughs> I think, unless I live another lifetime, which I'm not planning on doing. Uh, the, bo- the book I'm helping for, and I think you are too, is the one that Gary Jr. is going to write. Because that's going to be an amazing book. I mean, if you think of any swimmer in history who's been out of the box, who's been able to accomplish what he did in in, in his own way, and there's sanity. And, and I think you were either on teams with him or around people who were on teams with him to know that every team he was on, every trip he made was some incredibly hilarious story that came out of that that was so you know unusual. I, I do I I did steal a couple of his stories from this book. And I hope he'll forgive me for that. Because uh, he thing. has a he has a whole book to tell. So my plea is to my son, who's actually a very good writer too. He's not just you know, he he's written. In fact, he's he wrote, I think, in two thousand eight, a whole series of blogs on the on the Beijing Olympics, and they were amazing. I mean, he had me sucked in. He's he's a great writer. So maybe that book will come down the pike. I can't write it. He can, but uh, maybe you can help him with that one.
0: Wait, we see one thing in media. I run a media company, so I I know. I know when a story hits, people see a headline and then they, they read that story and I know that more information is going to surface and that you're not seeing 100% of what, what the truth is, but that's sort of just the way the world works. And, uh, you unpack something and I think it's in lesson one and it's, and it's, and I, and what I like about it is that you share the backstory and it was the, it's the famous line, every, uh, Gary Hall Jr. was in an interview with NBC and he said in, in this, and I remember I read it. It's like the full quote was we're going, you know, he doesn't say the name, but he's referencing the Australian four by one relay. And we're going to, we're going to smash them like air guitars. And then the next sentence, he qualifies it by saying, I know somewhere in my brain remotely that that's, that's not really going to be that way. And it's going to be a challenge, but they just took those, pieces of words and and that that's like stuck to him like a bumper sticker. And it was crystallized even on television with the Olympic commentary, but it's a teeny piece of the story and it got spun in a, in a, in a way that, in a way that wasn't true. You tell the front end of that story and you tell the back end of that story and everyone in swimming needs to know that story. And from a father's perspective with who loves his son and, 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 yeah, it's it's the thought of like, oh wow, it never really occurred to me. It's like, wow, Gary Hall Sr. must have really gone through some stressful moments with his son having type one diabetes. It's uh, yes, yeah, see, it, it was wonderful.
1: Well, thank you. And it, and it was kind of, I felt like that story needed to be told in its entirety because, I mean, every day we get snippets. I mean, tweets and, and and usually social media, and people read them and they totally misinterpret them, or they. Really twist them around and take them any way they want, but it's usually the wrong way. And and it's caused such a, a divisiveness, such a you know, a hostility uh, that I don't ever remember seeing. And, and, and you know, again, it's the point of that story was, you know, you can take one little line and, and and take it the wrong way, and you can start a war, you know, with that misinterpretation of what was said. Uh, and that was just one of, of many, many examples, but it, it was one that uh, Gary's, you know, I mean, he was invited just months ago to go back to Australia. They're still celebrating that relay in Australia, by the way. Uh, and Thorpe has gone on record, as, you know, not as world records. That was his greatest performance of all time is winning that relay. And it was, I was there in the stand. It was an amazing race. I think the lead changed hands six times in eight, in eight laps, you know, and it was back and forth, and back and forth, and it all went down to the last, you know, the final touch, um, but Gary was a great sport about it, and, and and they appreciated that. They did appreciate that, but they invited Gary to go back to was, you know, the 20 year reunion, I guess, of, the, of this um, infamous relay, famous over there, infamous here, uh, and, and he said, no, thank you. I, I, you know, I lived it once. I don't want to go back to relive it. Thank you very much.
0: I think that a lot of people are going to read this and I think that they're going to have their own questions. And I think that they're going to, they're going to want to impact. Uh, they're going, they're, they're going to want, they're, they're going to want more. I think that ultimately you're going to, you're going to be doing a lot of media and answering those questions or maybe writing another book. Uh, will you come back? I think probably a good time. We're going to be right before Olympic trials and about the time that um you're going to have this out in a hardback edition. Would you come back and listen, can, can we talk about it?
1: We can, and one of the reasons, know, you got to come back is later in one of these lessons. You haven't gotten to. He hasn't finished the book yet, but and, and I hope you do because one of those lessons was written with you in mind, actually, you and many others. But you're you're one of the examples of, one of these lessons, and you'll know immediately when you read it. You'll know. Now I have you so curious. You're going to go home and read the rest of the chapters, but uh, there is one that I really specifically thought of you when I was writing. And, and you're not alone, nor am I, or a lot of other athletes that have been to the Olympic Games. So you'll find that one pretty interesting. Think. But yeah, I'm happy to come back. I, I, I will put it out in print at some point, um, but I, right now it's just an ebook form and uh, uh, had a lot of fun. I mean, it was, Uh, And I want to thank Mary, my wife, because she was the one that really encouraged me to do all this and and, uh, get it out there. But uh, and she also was the one that told me because I didn't do this originally. At the end of each chapter, I kind of put it into digestible. Here's what you know. I'm really saying. Here's what I recommend. Or here's here's the real interpretation of what I just told you. Um, Speaking Olympic parables, I guess right.
0: It's a very tight read and it comes at a point in time where it's delivered with, um, you know, a lot of people don't deliver wisdom because frankly they can't in there and they're they It's imposter syndrome. It's not real. Uh, you've got the credentials and the experience and you've lived through it and you've lived through it in and outside of a swimming arena. And, and that's, and, and you feel that from the introduction on, uh, I'd love having you on. i we, we gotta have you back just to unpack uh, just to just to unpack some 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 you know some some stroke analysis. So uh, if you have a if you have a stroke analysis podcast you wanna do, you're like, Mel, no, we need to talk about this specifically. So let me know and we'll have you back. Anytime, well,
1: i am happy to do that. That's, that's my passion now, you know. It's, that's what I love to do.